Okay, thank you so much. So um, I'm actually really thrilled to um, introduce uh, Dr. Bedimo, but also really amazed that he's going to now give us a talk on what did I miss, um, which is actually kind of a hard thing to do because um, uh, this is, you know, right now the, the EAS, the um, European AIDS Conference just finished, and uh, there's a lot to go through. So um, Dr. Bedimo is the um, chief of the infectious disease, disease section at the VA North Texas Healthcare System and a professor of medicine at UT Southwestern Medical Center. He has been really deeply involved in both laboratory-based and translational and clinical research um, in his work uh, over the years is a um, longstanding ACTG uh, investigator, um, works a lot on um, non-AIDS-defining illnesses, hyperlipidemia, um, adherence to medications, uh, alcohol treatment, just a very varied um, clinical research-based um, career, and um, has served on the, on the um, leadership of ACT, HIV, and other um, organizations, and we're really thrilled to have him here to say, in case you missed it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Gandhi, for such a kind introduction. And it's an honor to uh, be introduced by esteemed colleagues and friends like Dr. Gandhi, the West Coast variety, and it's not the East Coast variety, Dr. Raj Gandhi. <laughs> so uh, in case you missed it, I would like to just go through uh, over a few studies that might not have been covered by uh, the previous uh, uh, speakers. But of course, this is, is no way going to be exhaustive uh, review of the recent meetings and the recent presentations. But what I'd like to do is to show a few studies that just might impact your practice, uh, if not now, in the near future. And uh, here are by disclosures, uh, research funding for VIV and certificate has reports for VIV, Merck, Gilead, and Teratech. So here's a brief outline. We'll, Touch on a couple of studies that uh, may have been uh, covered a little bit uh, earlier and in strategies for prevention are uh, moving gradually away from once daily oral ART for prevention and strategies for antiretroviral naive people who are living with HIV where are unmet needs. Uh, not a lot of data on the newer agents during pregnancy. And there is some new study that may really uh, uh, do uh, <clears throat> a lot in bridging that gap. Strategies for treatment experience, people living with HIV, and uh, we, a lot of our data is coming uh, from uh, resource limited settings as this uh, population is dwindling here, less than 1% of people in your practice, but probably 50% of your headache. So we will look at some of the data that uh, is using the Nadia study. A metabolic complication of HIV weight change is a present, clear and present danger in HIV. And uh, we will look at some nuanced data on that. Then uh, COVID prevention and treatment in HIV, do people with HIV actually uh, respond to vaccine, and then also new oral options for hospitalized people with uh, COVID-19. And then we'll end with uh, cancer prevention in people with HIV. So I will start uh, many of these by unmet needs and what potentially the data I will present will address as a gap. And here is uh, the data on HIV prevention. A great slide by Ralph Landowitz at uh, age 2020. Uh, showing you efficacy on of oral options for uh, <clears throat> uh, PrEP. What you will see, a cursory view of this graph is 
you, you will see the unmet needs. Uh, uh, poor response by and large in uh, females, and even not so great response uh, in uh, the pivoting ring uh, in, uh, in, in females. So a lot of uh, uh, possible explanations are uh, these uh, poor responses uh, in many of the PrEP uh, studies females have been ascribed to uh, uh, poor adherence, and, but there could be some biological reasons. So here comes a PrEP that is not oral. Uh, uh, PrEP with Capotegravir uh, versus TDFFTC, phase two, three uh, randomized control trial and HIV PrEP in international study, high-risk MSM and transgender women, uh, started with uh, oral leading of five weeks of cabotegravir and then uh, uh, moved to uh, every two month injections compared to oral TDF uh, FTC stopped early for this reason. Um, um, <clears throat> there is a, a 13 uh, eight new HIV infections in cabotegravir, 39 in FTC TDF, uh, which translates uh, into a significant uh, point three, four hazard ratio uh, favoring uh, uh, cabotegravir. And uh, so safety is here. Uh, uh, a lot of injections had reactions, but uh, the great majority of them be mild. And so cabotegravir was non-inferior and indeed superior to uh, TDF-FTC. And on the heels of this, another population that has been poorly studied in many of the PrEP studies uh, is <clears throat> the uh, cisgender women. And this is a phase two, three randomized uh, double blind placebo control trial of HIV, um, uh, sorry, uh, uh, active control HIV PrEP yeah, international study in high risk cisgender women. Um, it's same uh, construct uh, after a leading of five weeks, cabotegravir was uh, administered at Q two month injections compared to uh, TDFFTC orally. And you will see here uh, a very similar uh, women in the cabotegravir group had 89% lower risk of HIV infection compared to TDFFTC. And so that amount to four infections in cabotegravir and 36 in TDFFTC uh, for a hazard ratio of uh, 0.11. And also safety is uh, uh, similarly to uh, the other study, cabotegravir being found non-inferior and superior to uh, TDFFTC for PrEP. Now, can we do even simpler? And this is an oral PrEP that could be administered every month. Uh, population PK simulation of islatravir trifosphate, uh, which is uh, predicted to be protective at that threshold of 0.05 picomole per million PBMCs, and mostly oral uh, isratavir at uh, 60 milligrams was selected for phase three uh, HIV prevention study because it's uh, predicted to exceed the PK threshold <clears throat> uh, within a couple of hours of the first administration and stay on that uh, throughout. So very exciting possible new options. Uh, not only is it still oral, but it's oral every month, not every day. Um, but another uh, potential formulation for Islatravir is as an implant. Uh, this is a double blind placebo control trial in a low risk population, three different dosing, 48 milligrams, 52 milligrams, and 56 milligrams uh, subdermal placement in the upper arm, and there was removed um, uh, 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 
uh, after 12 weeks and they, and they followed up uh, eight weeks after uh, removal. This is a uh, plasma and P uh, PBMC PK, uh, EKGs, vital signs and safety uh, were collected. And it was found, as you can see on the panel on the right, that the 56 milligram implant were projected uh, to lead to concentrations above the thresholds at for over 52 weeks. So this could be a monthly administration. Now, take we go back to saying, well, okay, so what are the unmet needs uh, still in HIV prevention? Maybe ultra long acting uh, 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 options like uh, Islatravir implant, but that could be removal in case something goes wrong. So we've seen um, um, uh, Atlas and Flair that shows that <clears throat> Uh, uh, oral options, uh, 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 sorry, IV, uh, uh, sorry, uh, uh, subcutaneous uh, uh, intramuscular injections of carbotegravir uh, uh, were good. And then we've seen the carbotegravir uh, for PrEP. So maybe other options would be uh, found for treatment and prevention, but that would allow you to remove the, the admini uh, administration of the depot uh, uh, <clears throat> formulation in case something go wrong, goes wrong. This is a very exciting, not yet uh, uh, ready for prime time inside you uh, forming implant where you inject uh, dolutegravir, it solidifies, but you can easily remove it uh, later and it's, it has potentials for both uh, treatment and prep. Now, Unmet needs for treatment experience people on current uh, with current antiretroviral options. Uh, Dr. Gandhi has presented to you uh, uh, options for heavily treatment experience with newer uh, agents, uh, Satavir, and so on and so forth. But we're talking about early failures, after failure of an NNRTI-based therapy. Again, a lot of studies from uh, Africa mostly, second line and earnest, so suggesting that ratagravir plus 2NITI was non-inferior to lupinavir, ritonavir plus 2NCI, and ratagravir plus 2NITI was non-inferior to ratagravir plus PIs. Now, the remaining question, um, uh, in based ART in treatment experience, are there uh, uh, data with uh, contemporary uh, INSTI and the second line, uh, contemporary PIs and the second line INSTI is lupinavir and uh, big tech review. So here comes the Nadia study, uh, which was just uh, published a couple of months ago in the New England Journal of Medicine. Uh, so this is a contemporary uh, um, <coughs> PI uh, uh, option, Darunavir, Ritonavir, uh, compared to uh, Dolutegravir, each with TDF, FTC, or AZT, 3TC, uh, 464 participants failing first-line NNRTI-based therapy. Now at baseline, 50% of them had K65R and 86% of them had M184V. So these were people who already had uh, uh, a significant uh, <clears throat> resistance uh, mutation. So there was excellent virologic response at week 48, 90.2% uh, for the dolutegravir and 91.7% uh, in the darunavir ritonavir. But what I think is uh, uh, more important to note is that the option was equally effective at all, uh, at both uh, Varalo strata, uh, less than 100,000 or more than 100,000, and CD4 strata, less than 200 and more than uh, uh, 200. But uh, with either zero, one, two or more predicted active NRTIs in the regimen, that option uh, worked. So after NNRTI therapy failure, Dolutegravir or ratagravir ritonavir 
plus TDFFTC or actually uh, SETTC was efficacious regardless of the amount of NITR resistance. So this is something that could be operable uh, in your clinic in somebody who has failed an NNRTI-based regimen, but had M184B, K183N, and maybe uh, uh, K65R. Can you reasonably put them on uh, a newer integrase inhibitor with uh, TDFFTC or TAFFTC? According to Nadia, you probably can. So, and the prompt administration of antiretroviral therapy to optimize maternal outcomes and preventing MTCT is important. However, there's no adequate data on safety and efficacy of uh, newer integrase inhibitors and newer tenofovir formulations, uh, tenofovir alafenamide during pregnancy. So the impact to one, uh, 2010 Vestet trial uh, is filling that gap. Uh, they looked at uh, people 14 weeks or greater in pregnancy with no previous ART. They allowed up to one week of ART during pregnancy before enrollment. And they were placed uh, randomized to dolitegravir plus TAF-FTC versus dolitegravir plus TDF-FTC versus efavirenz TDF-FTC. And this is the viral suppression at delivery favoring the <clears throat> Uh, uh, combined dolitegravir containing groups, i.e. dolitegravir plus TAF-FTC plus dolitegravir uh, plus TDF-FTC compared to uh, uh, efavirenz uh, uh, TDF-FTC. So that's number one. We all have been familiar with the fact that uh, uh, integrase-based regime uh, dropped the viral load quicker. This is even more important in the context of pregnancy because the sooner you uh, accomplish that, the better uh, you like to prevent uh, maternal to child uh, transmission. So first uh, important outcome to uh, impact to 010 vested. Second important outcome is that the composite adverse pregnancy outcome, which was a primary endpoint, by the way, uh, spontaneous abortion, stillbirth, uh, preterm delivery, or small for gestational age, favored dolitegravir FTC TAF over the two other uh, groups. This is the, the first thing. The second thing is that the preterm deliveries were also fewer with dolitegravir FTC TAF compared to efavirenz CDF FTC. So this is number one, the composite outcome favoring dolitegravir FTC TAF and the preterm delivery at uh, uh, week at, um, uh, i.e. just uh, at less than 37 weeks of gestation were favoring dolitegravir FTC TAF. So biologic uh, endpoint, good uh, safety also appear, uh, uh, for the mother and the child especially uh, appear to be good. So we've all heard about uh, weight gain. I think that it's something that have uh, uh, challenged us in our clinics to uh, uh, figure out whether it's indeed uh, important to, uh, uh, to, to, to use the guidelines recommended first-line agents if all people, including those are more likely to gain weight. We have figured out that people initiating antitrust therapy with regimens containing uh, ISTIS or TAF are more likely to gain weight. They're also more likely to gain weight if they're females, if they're non-white. And, uh, and so those are demographics that uh, uh, tell us that somebody is more likely to gain weight, but we don't know exactly the mechanism. Number two, if you already control the virus and you switch uh, people to either insti-based regimen or TAF-based regimen, they're also likely to gain weight. And so that is important. What is important also to figure out is if you remove 
HIV from the equation, i.e. you give people either instis or TAF when they don't have HIV at all, and compared to, of course, placebo, not another HIV regimen, you may probably be able to delineate the, uh, the effect of the drug in a vacuum without HIV on board, without other antiretrovirus. And this is exactly what was done in this analysis of uh, uh, PrEP studies. Uh, first, uh, uh, Redbox is looking at PrEP studies with uh, TDF or TDF-FTC uh, compared to placebo, uh, showing that people who receive TDF-FTC have less um, weight gain than those on placebo. Uh, second group of study, there was a trend towards less weight gain um, uh, <clears throat> uh, in, in, uh, 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 in people receiving TDF-FTC compared to cabotegravir in PrEP. And so the total totality of uh, the evidence in this particular data suggests that yes, we have uh, uh, data showing that you likely to gain a lot of weight on TAF and INSTIS, but probably TDF might lead to weight loss, not gain. Now, what about epivirins? Probably the same thing, and this is the uh, a pooled analysis of uh, 12 prospective clinical trials uh, switched in biologically suppressed uh, people versus remaining of uh, uh, <clears throat> a baseline regimen. The greatest risk uh, was with, uh, from the switch to from epivirins to repivirin or evatagravir-covisista and switch from TDF to TAF. But it's now becoming uh, likely that uh, exposure to TDF or effibrance might actually suppress a weight gain that would have occurred uh, uh, of antiretroviral therapy. So important nuance in the weight change uh, uh, dialogue. Now, other unmet needs for COVID-19 prevention. Now, the CDC has recommended that moderately to severely immunocompromised people receive an additional third dose of COVID. And these are the categories, uh, receiving active treatment for cancer, organ transplantation, hematopoietic stem cell transplantation, and uh, moderate to severe primary immunodeficiency like the George syndrome, as well as quote unquote advanced or untreated HIV uh, or high dose uh, corticosteroids. On the right, you see data from CLL, yes, indeed, uh, antibody response was weak in those. <clears throat> and this is a very helpful diagram from the uh, ACIP. They looked at a number of studies with cancer in blue, with hemodialysis in green, with uh, organ transplantation in yellow, and immunosuppressive therapies. And just that lo looking at the percent with antibody response, uh, the cancer, organ transplant, immunosuppressive therapy were all uh, associated with lower. Uh, uh, immune response. However, no good data on antibody response in people with HIV, uh, despite uh, their inclusion in those guidelines. But now data uh, occurring. So do people living with HIV respond well to COVID-19 vaccines? Uh, this is a cohort uh, of 43 people living with HIV age uh, 18 or above, and they use a control of 261 immunocompetent healthcare workers antibody uh, response was measured 26 days after uh, uh, administration of the Pfizer vaccine. And all the people living with HIV were virologically suppressed and they had a quite robust forecast of uh, 700 uh, with uh, confidence from uh, 648 to 747. So these were biologically suppressed with a really good CD4 count. And the conclusion, as you can see in the graph on the right, 
uh, in the RBD binding IgG or log 50% neutralizing tariff were equivalent uh, between people with HIV and control uh, without HIV. The conclusion is that this vaccine uh, was immunogenic as safe uh, in people with HIV on ART with suppressed sacrivocat and on unsuppressed sacrivocat and suppressed viral load. Those are the words. So same question, do people living with HIV respond well to COVID-19 vaccine? Now we're looking at a cohort of 100 people living with HIV, median CD4 count of 500, only 5% of whom are baremic, and 100% without HIV will receive the same uh, uh, mRNA vaccines, uh, Pfizer for 75% of them and Moderna 25% of them. The predictors of poor response here were low CD4 count, unsuppressed viremia, and uh, uh, receiving the Pfizer versus Moderna vaccine in this particular analysis. Uh, so each 100 CD4 cell increase uh, resulted in 28% agiomic median rate, uh, uh, rate of uh, higher IgG and 26% higher viral neutralization titers. So this is very consistent with the previous study where most people had very high uh, CD4 count and they all respond just as well. This one suggesting that as you lower the CD4 count, you probably do not respond as well uh, to uh, 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 COVID-19 vaccines, uh, at least uh, mRNA. There's other studies that have been done looking at uh, AstraZeneca vaccines, but that's uh, 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 also showing similar response, but mostly in uh, high CD4 count people. Now, what are the unmet needs in the outpatient management of COVID-19? So we had uh, monoclonal antibodies that had shown 70 to 80% decrease in hospitalization or death in outpatient uh, COVID-19 uh, uh, people. So that's why the DHHS guidelines has uh, uh, this recommendation that's in the box here that uh, anti-SARS-CoV monoclonal protocols are recommended uh, for outpatients with multiple COVID-19, and those are the, the regimen recommended. Now, what are the unmet needs? No oral options. Uh, until monopiravir that Dr. Gandhi presented earlier, uh, which is uh, an oral uh, a drug that had about 48% decrease in hospitalization and death. So very uh, uh, promising results. And then just yesterday, um, uh, a press release, and I would never have thought that I would be presenting press releases in the CME program, but this is the COVID era. We're doing things out of the box. So that suggests in this study called evaluation of protease inhibition for COVID-19 in high-risk patients, or so, uh, EPIC-HR. Uh, this is a protease uh, inhibitor that is uh, boosted by retonavir. Uh, this is uh, um, orally bioavailable and uh, <clears throat> SARS-CoV protease inhibitor, which has pan-human coronavirus activity. You see at the bottom right that it works just as well in uh, SARS-CoV-1, MERS, and 229E. Excellent off-target activity, oral activity in a mass-adapted SARS-CoV-2 model, and this is what it looks like. An interim analysis that was the subject of the press release yesterday was 89% reduction in COVID-19-related hospitalization and death from any cause through uh, day 28 if there was administered within uh, uh, three days of admission. But the study uh, that people administered the drug within five days of symptom onset. So this is quite promising. And enrollment was stopped, uh, recommendation by DSMB, and, um, and then they have uh, submitted the data to the FDA, and probably gonna have an EUA layer. This is uh, a very nice uh, 
uh, a table I lifted from Eric Topol uh, uh, Twitter uh, uh, page uh, comparing uh, the monopiravir Dr. Gandhi presented to you earlier to uh, uh, this uh, Pfizer molecule. And efficacy, you see here that uh, if the data holds, it's incredibly uh, great efficacy with no death uh, within five days, but it has to be boosted with ritonavir. And this is a specifically designed uh, for COVID and is a protease inhibitor. And uh, we will see um, uh, how well it's priced. So we will conclude now with uh, yet another press release. And this is uh, two in a row, uh, uh, but I think this is very exciting data and I cannot wait. I was uh, told yesterday it will be in the diseases of uh, the colon and rectum, uh, probably in the next week or two. This is a long uh, uh, time coming, uh, or so-called anchor trial. 4,446 people with HIV high-grade squamous intraepithelial lesions were randomized for, to treatment versus uh, active monitoring. And the treatment was either ablative um, um, uh, uh, therapy, uh, HRA-guided. That's what most patients got. But some uh, got topical treatment with mucumod, fluorouracil, or trichloracetic acid. And this was 21 clinical sites around the US. The treatment arm, they were, uh, if they had recurrent high grade lesions, they were retreated, while the active monitoring arm were watched again. And so all participants uh, received uh, HRA Q6 months, and rates of anal cell cancer were compared. And again, in red, this is uh, uh, the quote from the press release from, uh, I don't know, so yesterday, a couple of days ago, chances of progression to anal cancer were significantly reduced. Now, I cannot even tell you by how much. So exciting new data, and, and I think that we have gotten accustomed to uh, things uh, being rushed in the press uh, um, before uh, peer or preprint, uh, before peer-reviewed uh, publications, but this is where we are. So I really would like to thank uh, Dr. Raj Gandhi and uh, Dr. Tim Gulick uh, for, um, and Dr. Paul Sachs for, for contributions. I think I can uh, uh, entertain questions. Thank you. Thank you so much, um, Dr. Badimo. And um, let me just see if, um, please feel free to put any questions in the chat. You went over great and really important studies um, and, uh, and very new developments. And I think the anchor study especially is really gonna change our clinical management, and we now have a protease inhibitor for COVID. Everything is looking up. <laughs> um, and maybe we'll have uh, molnupiravir with, with a protease inhibitor someday. Like, I sense combination uh, studies coming. <laughs> yes, it's just like... It's just just, all about again. Uh, it's just like those, those good old days with HIV. That's so right. it's very exciting. I mean, I think a lot of people... Well, I'm waiting for questions. I'll, you know, ask a question. I'm all, I'm often, um, uh, you know, asked, which is that: Do you think the mutation potential of uh, a nucleoside analog does that worry you with molnupiravir? You think it's short enough that we're not worried? Yeah. So it's uh, it's been a question that people have asked, and there are a couple of. Uh, assays that I'm hearing uh, Merck has conducted. Uh, uh, one of them was uh, 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 
uh, <clears throat> this in vitro study, I think it was on this uh, blue pig, something like that, that, that those studies are mutagenesis studies that can tell you if that there is a signal uh, uh, for, uh, for, for mammalian cells uh, mutations. Of course, has been uh, incredibly important question that I hope it's not the case. And I'm hearing uh, uh, from Merck that this is not the case, that some of the studies that they have conducted uh, have not uh, uh, suggested that to be, but hopefully we'll see that in print. Okay, well, I'm gonna turn it over to Chip because I know that you're monitoring this next part. Um, and so uh, that was a great talk. Thank you so much. Thank you very much.